0: I was actually looking through some files last week and I came across a video that was recorded uh, when we were at the Celtic Festival in Port Arlington with Austral. And I thought, oh, I'll have to have a listen to that because I I hadn't actually listened to it since we did it. And I was blown away by, like, what amazing live playing that is. It's, It's totally brilliant. I mean, it is like 100 mile an hour, but it's... But everything's right on the money. I don't know if
1: I've told you, but Austral have released a tune that they recorded that day that we recorded. And it's oh, on sorry. their bank camp. So if you No way. Yeah, so listen if this is maybe news to you as well. If you enjoy that episode, it's a bloody it's a banger. But yeah, you can down you can um buy that single on their Bank Camp, which I'll link to
0: in the show notes. The reason we're mentioning Austral... At the top of the show is one of the fiddle players in the band is Angus Barbary, and he's today's guest. And as you'll hear, he's a really articulate player. He's fast, fast player, but he's uh, he's got real taste, mm. and uh, and he's a real thinker about the music as well. Um he the other fiddle player in the band is Katie Brennan, who will also be joining us in a future episode. So we're really looking forward to that. But today uh, it's Angus. And
1: but before we get into it, Dominic, before we get into it, what I'm going to talk about tonight. Guess what I'm going to talk about. First of all, I'm going to thank the people that have gone over, and some very generous people have gone over and it's bumped up their um, their subscription. So thank you so much for that. Um, for anyone else, I know I've kind of alluded to people thinking, you know what? I think I might get behind this podcast. It's I'm enjoying it. It's worth two bucks a week. Make this week the week. Just pop over to Patreon.com forward slash the Bellani programs, and as Dom has said before, you'll ascend to a higher place. You you'll, will. You <laughs> will. And, uh, also. Um, the other thing that really 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 help us and we used to harp on about this in the early days is tell a friend we we don't advertise this anywhere it's it's all self um, funded self motivated so when we're on there and we're posting places our voice can only i can only shout us in so many areas i'd love to lean on on you the listener you know the people that might be interested in it and if you could get it in front of them that'd be amazing so if you could do that for us that'd be great and i'm, I'm not just talking about sharing on facebook if you're having a beer down a pub with someone say hey i I know about this podcast or that you're probably part of other groups which I'm, i'm not even thinking of that will really 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 help us now with all the advertising that i'm doing at you let's stop that and get into the episode enjoy all right
2: Uh, I only wanted to start with that because um, the way I originally learnt it was so far from the style that you just heard. Yeah, because um, I didn't come from a family of Irish. Can you still play music. the way you I can? It? Tr- yeah, yeah. Can, I can you can give us a lash it. of that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Because I. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll play before I explain. <laughs> it probably doesn't need too much explaining. It's very, very classically heavy. Yeah. Right. typically over swung kind of feeling uh where you're trying to imitate the um the groove that you would get in a lot of the of, a dance style of music but oh, not right. knowing uh how to how to do it because of not growing up and hearing that kind of music it was kind of like a um it took a while to grasp that groove
1: see i'm gonna have to unpick that
2: yeah quite sure. a bit
1: because just showing my own naivety i think So, you're classically trained, right? Is that what you mean? So, you learned it from a classical point of view?
2: Yeah. Um, So, I went to a high school that specialized in the performing arts. It was uh, Newtown Performing Arts in Sydney, and uh, I had a great teacher there, actually, Emlyn Lewis-Jones, who was also the conductor of the school orchestra, and... um, they, he he, kind of turned his nose up at a lot of uh, folk music and All things right. like that, um, which of course kind of spurred me wanting, wanting <laughs> yeah, to do yeah. it even more. <laughs>
1: maybe that's his whole ruse. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe.
2: Yeah, maybe he sensed my attraction toward it. Um, this would have been when I was about 14 or 15, and I decided I kind of wanted to uh, steer myself away from the classical world of uh, winning your way, Desk by desk, forward in a orchest- orchestral violin section, yeah, and yeah. Uh, dealing with the politics and hierarchy of sitting amongst um, thirty other violinists didn't really attract me. So, and you've been learning
1: for quite a while. So, if you're fourteen, you've been learning. I had for been for a number of years before. Yeah, that. I
2: had been learning grades. Yeah. Uh, okay. Suzuki method and AMEB method grades, grade systems, standard kind of stuff that yeah. most parents might. Uh, push their kids into doing, yeah um since I was five, so um and also my older sister, uh Pip Barbary, she played violin, um she's two years older, and naturally, you always kind of wanna <laughs> copy what your older sibling is doing yeah. and, to some degree, and um yeah, I think that's what what first got me into it at the age of five, and then uh just kind of um, not really consciously. Fumbled my way through the grade systems, um, didn't make it to the end. I think I, the last grade I finished was sixth grade, and yeah. I was preparing for seventh and eighth, and I just lost wind of it and um, wanted to branch out and do something else. So, um, one of the other music teachers at that school, um, I, I don't mean to downplay that other music teacher I had, he was probably one of the most influential musical figures in my life. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, really got me to listen to music and think about what I'm playing and what I'm trying to express in my playing. And I, I still take a lot of that with me. But this other teacher was much more about the community aspect of music. And um, he in, encouraged me to start a band at the school. And so I actually managed to coax one of my other best mates into playing the whistle. and Because he came from playing clarinet, that's why he was at the school. And, um, and we just started learning a few Irish tunes together. And like I was just playing before with that... We kind of fumbled our way through these tunes just learning off the page. And
1: so, is that um, going back to how you mentioned about the rhythm and then font? mm -hmm. Like, because you didn't grow up with the musical family with that type of music, I suppose, how did the pending start to click for you? Like, so you were playing, you played it in that, for want of a better word, that squarer fashion. Yeah. Was it just through exposure then that you went, hang on, we need to add in more?
2: Yeah, I think the style very much grew from my contemporaries in playing trad uh, around Sydney. So uh, did you have a good network of trad players in Sydney then? Because that or, would have been a hard... Yeah, um, there's a local session that's only recently finished in, in Sydney at um, Kelly's on King Street in Newtown, which was just, just down the road from my high school. And um, I actually remember the first day I ever walked in there. I was coming back from an orchestral rehearsal and I'd been learning these Irish tunes in that kind of square style, like you said, and I'd been fumbling around with it. And I just heard this music coming out of this pub late after an orchestral rehearsal and uh, had the fiddle on my back. And I remember there was this um, big Maori bouncer at the front door. Yeah. And it was actually a bit of a Newtown figure. Everyone kind of knew him. Um, and and he's, I stopped and just to listen to the music for a second. And this guy is a tower of a man with you know arms like meatloafs. So he says... Are you going in or what, bro? Just <laughs> <laughs> no, being so. Oh, okay, sure. And and I actually went went in and someone shouted me a pint at the age of fifteen. Yeah, uh, as part of a round for the Muso. So yeah. I thought, oh my god, this is freedom. So you, you actually
1: you had the courage. You got in, then you took out your instrument and. and
2: yeah, I, th- I mean, I think without that b- bouncer kind of oh, it, giving me a little nudge, I don't think I would have yeah. had the courage to do it. But um, just through doing that, I met some really friendly figures in the music scene in. Sydney, uh, Russell Carey and Glenn Sheffer uh, Piper and a fiddle player there and they play just bangers fast tunes after fast yeah, tunes yeah. Uh, sometimes getting away f- <laughs> uh, sometimes a bit of a train wreck but <laughs> also <laughs> yeah. uh, so much fun and um, uh, I think that's really what attracted me to it. The, did the you fun, have an inclination fun... of uh, did, did you have an inclination of your style of playing and Where it sat in the greater picture, instantly, oh, yeah, yeah, right. instantly, yeah. instantly, I knew, hang on, I'm doing something wrong here, yeah, and um, I think I just learned from listening, and and I think that's testimony to why this genre uh, and a lot of Celtic music has to be taught uh, orally, and, yeah, and, and so, so
1: was there a yeah. fight between the Suzuki style method and then going more to the but learning by ear or playing by ear was that a conflict within you or did it feel like
2: you already had the foundations um i mean in hindsight i think i uh i took to playing trad tunes pretty quickly um kind of an instant conversion but if i were to actually kind of relive my 15 year old self there probably was a bit of conflict going on with like the intellectual side of music because there's a lot of wank in classical music That's yeah. like oh yes we're the most sophisticated style of music and anything else is below and um and so i suppose it took a little while to kick that kind of um puritan uh idea out um yeah. and start learning about the other intricacies of a different style of music which didn't fit into the model of classical classical training yeah so what so once i kind of Learned from that, and yeah, it's it's something that I got from playing with others. So,
1: and you did you finish with music? Did you continue on and finish? Of at course, the end of the year? yeah. Um, so you a, had these
2: two styles then happening yeah, at the same time for a, for a while, while. I was juggling the the both of them, and there was a little bit of conflict and everything. And like I said, my um, my music teacher, my private violin tutor, he didn't approve of any of the uh, trad tunes. He said, "Oh, yeah, I, I used to play in a bush band, and yeah, they're all simple things and simple music." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That might have been his experience. That might have been the band that he played in. Mm, but, yeah, it's I such don't a. Think. Yeah, it yeah. is
1: such a. Um, a weird meeting point where, yes, it is on paper, sim- possibly on paper simple, but it's it's all the things that are not on the paper that make it so so complex.
2: Exactly. I don't know how you would. Yeah, it's not. Maybe it's not a bridge to be gapped. It, well, and, and, and that's why the the hyper. Um, Hardline thinkers about classical music will play exactly what's on the page, and even everything to the last little dynamic swell mm-hmm. or the last, you know, whether you should play um, these two notes uh, staccato, like, or or you should do them full detached bows, or you should slow them together. You know, everything has to be, uh, especially with things like baroque music, everything has to be to the T. Yeah. Um, exactly and do you still play? Classical at all, or is it mostly I, trad? Occasionally, I pull it out for a little bit of a um, um, memorabilia. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm I'm pretty well converted. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That, that's why I, that's that why pop- I say in hindsight, when I look back, uh, I very quickly yeah switched my thinking to yep yeah, this is for me. This yeah. is this is what feels natural. Yeah.
1: And you did you did you always dabble in the sorry not always, but once you found the Irish trad music, is that that's your home? You didn't.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, and that might have also come from the fact that it's a lot larger than a lot of other traditional music styles out there. Yeah. But it's also because my family heritage comes from Ireland and Scotland and and you know, it's it's part of that reconnection yeah idea and um so your your um, family history is uh, is really interesting. You
1: spoke earlier on about your um your great great grandfather. That's right. Yeah tell us about that I know yeah. it's a, such a fascinating um, story jo-
2: Joseph Myers, yeah he he was a violin maker in Adelaide um, he was a bit of a tear away from his own family in Melbourne um, from where he moved away from the, insura- the family insurance industry or something of the like it was banking or insurance or something d- dreadfully boring and um, <laughs> uh, decided to set up a violin shop in Adelaide and um, he and his wife lived there quite happily, and uh, there are a few of his violins in circulation. One of which got scooped up into an Australian instrument collection, and then, consequently, wound up at the Australian National Museum, in um, National Museum of Australia in yeah. uh, in Canberra. And so, when I started researching a bit more about Joseph Myers, just wanting to look into my own um, genealogy, I guess. Uh, I found out that one of his instruments was there, and so I emailed ahead, and thankfully there was someone on the other end that was kind of inspired by that story that I wanted to reconnect with uh, with part of my history, and they sent the violin to a, a local um, a local violin maker to be restored, and he whacked a new set of strings on it, and. Um, yeah, I, I managed to play it, and they did a bit of a story about it. They recorded a tune that I had written for the occasion. About yeah, so they Joe they Myers. they organised the um, the video piece. So if you Google
1: if you Google your name, you, you're, it's pretty much one of the first videos that would come up of you. If you um, look up, uh, is it Angus Bradbury and Joseph Myers? Joseph Myers, If you yeah. Google those two, you'll see a video. It's a beautiful little like five minute video, and it, it's great to actually see you play. The fiddle. So they organised yeah, the entire great of to that. play it. Actually,
2: I wish I could continue to play it. <laughs> yeah.
1: So how long did you get to spend on it?
2: The fiddle itself, yeah. just the afternoon. Oh. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful sounding fiddle, actually. Um, yeah. I know. I'm not sure if this was actually one of them, but Joseph Myers was known to make violins with the top piece made of hue on pine rather than um, being made of uh, uh, spruce, and he. Yeah, he he was known for using Australian timbers and kind of experimenting with the traditions of violin making.
1: How like I know you're asking about your great-granddad so it's hard to <laughs> to answer this, but how does someone an insurance man end up making fiddles? Like, like I, don't, I don't I don't I don't get it. I I think when I relate it to myself, I I play five-string banjo. I would love to build one, but I'm terrified because I'm I'm a paper pusher. I don't know. I sit in the computer and tapy tap tap I, I just how did, and I kind of imagine that your grand, great granddad would be in the same position as an insurance man. What was he? Did he have any other trades? Was he handy before he met? Or was Obviously, just a rebel and said, "Screw Melbourne."
2: What? I think there's just everyone's kind of multifaceted. This. It's so easy to sum someone up by their career, and it's yeah, that's not right. that's not really how I think someone someone really is. So, some for myself, for example, um, we're talking here about my relationship with music, but. Um, during the week, I'm a geography student and uh, a, a button pusher at a, a um, an environmental consultancy, yeah. and I, you know, build maps for, you know, digi- digitizing things for a company. So yeah, there's yeah. a different. It's it's all we all live um, multiple lives, I think, and um, I think that was just one of his yeah. lives. Um, a, and did he winning play? Over another. Did he play? music as well He, I don't think he was a musician no there's no yeah, record wow. of him doing it so I, I think he was just solidly a maker yeah. he just decided this is a beautiful instrument and um, you can make a living off it so yeah.
1: <laughs> so are there many of them still in existence I, th-
2: I think there are but yeah. they're like a lot of uh, antiques kind of locked away in people's personal collections or um, gathering dust I think in a cupboard somewhere yeah is yeah. this one you have here or? no no this is a French trade instrument there's actually another story behind how I got this fiddle <laughs> um, <laughs> well, go which again comes from a different branch of my family history yeah so, right I don't know if you want to delve into it but <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely
1: it's a beautiful looking instrument it sounds well, fantastic it, well it's, it's a,
2: a it's a French trade fiddle so that, that just means it was made by hand um, on an assembly line um, and at the turn of the last century um, 1900s 1800-1900 uh, crossover there were a lot of those kind of things happening in Europe um, and so it was made in a French French factory, um, but it came into the possession of a cop in Adelaide, and I um, lived in Adelaide for a little while, and on the side of the other work that I was doing, I put out gum tree ads for violin restoration, um, just as a supplementary income kind of thing, and uh, I do bow rehairs and you know cleaning them up and putting strings on because if people don't know what they're doing, they can damage the instrument. Yeah. Yada yada. Anyway, um, and this guy had put an ad on Gumtree saying three old fiddles for sale. I don't know how much they're worth. Come and look at them. <laughs>
1: Beautiful. <haven't> and yeah, <laughs> so
2: I thought, oh, gold mine yeah. So I, I went up there and I pitched my services to him, saying, oh, I'll fix these up. You'll be able to sell them for ten times the price if you, you know, give me this fee. You know, we'll we'll both end up happy by the end of it. Um, and we got chatting and it turns out he was a policeman. Uh, in the uh, And when he went to the police academy in Adelaide, my grandfather, uh, Jim Barbary, was his sergeant. And so he has le- many fond memories of Jim Barbary and, and wanted to, um, I suppose, kind of pass some of his thanks down the yeah, yeah. bloodline <laughs> in some way. Yeah. And so he said, tell you what, as a favour to Jim, I, I'll um i'll give you one of those three fiddles for your choice if you fix up the other two fantastic and, and so I, I did just that and this was the third this was my pick um because it's, it's got the volume to be able to punch out a sound in a session yeah it hasn't exactly got the tone that i think i'd like but i think it's uh it's good for me now great you fancy giving us a tune it. from it sure yeah that'd be amazing um, um Oh, okay, I think this is an appropriate tune for that. Um, that idea. This is a tune that I wrote called Chew the Wood. And I I wrote it when I was still living in Sydney and um, I was using an uh, electronic m- branch mulcher. Yeah, right. Um, in my parents' backyard, we chopped down an old wattle tree that was in the backyard. Um, and as the mulcher was functioning and sucking branches in one end spitting wood chips out the other end it had this kind of rhythm to it um as it chomped through pieces of wood and that kind of uh inspired me to so, so i wrote this kind of half hornpipey half real um tune Tune. It's a kind of a chompy tune. (laughs) So, do you write a lot of tunes yourself? Uh, I've written a few tunes for different occasions, uh, mostly for the want to have a bit of a different sound in bands that I've played in over the years. Yeah. Um, So, so generally, when you're playing up on stage, you know, you like to have something original. So, I've written things for different occasions. And then, yeah, sometimes just an idea will come to you, and sometimes there's some. Uh, emotional period that you might want to uh, capture in a moment and so you'll write a tune about it as well um, and, and what's your process are you uh, a you use your classical training would you would you write it out or would you just write it and then record it um i think normally i'd play it um i'd just see how it feels uh on on the instrument and then make a a phone recording or something, yeah. and then maybe transcribe it to actually lock in certain notes rather than uh, just kind of improvising yeah. it every time. Um, but it's it's often different. Um, and then what's the, what's the process then when sharing that with a band?
1: Because I'm sure there's a you've got a vision, mm. and then what's that like when you then share it with with others? That-
2: much the same that I've just shared it with you, I think yeah, talk right. about what inspired it, and um, that generally gives it a flavour, and and might give some indication about how other people should play along with it, whether yeah. or not um, you know you whether or not you handball the melody over to someone else, and and then that'll give them an indication of how they might play it, um, how it should be backed. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Do you play any with the band minute because that's the minute you're playing with uh, Astral right? Yeah,
2: yeah. So we've we've got a few original tunes. Both Katie and I, my partner, we we write tunes um, and we try and keep them upbeat generally. Um, most of our tunes are kind of dance tunes because that suits our suits the flavor of this ensemble. Um, there there have been a few a few tunes in kind of standard tunings and then there's a few ones that we like to write that sound a bit different to other yeah. to other tunes whether that's just putting it in a different key or slightly different like that um, tune I just played has some um, slightly different swing to it than um, like it's halfway between a hornpipe or, uh, and a reel so it's um, yeah, slight, slightly different I suppose yeah. trying to make it unique
1: but the whole band itself that's kind of a unique take anyway, do you want to tell us a bit more about, about the band itself? yeah,
2: of course um, so The band started up in Adelaide actually um, from Katie, Connor and I, Connor Hoy, Katie Brennan and myself um, just playing in the session scene in Adelaide and we found ourselves uh, three among maybe six people under 60 that (laughs) that were playing trad in Adelaide and we were kind of inspired just to hang out together and so we ended up having a lot of jam sessions at each other's houses and at some local sessions and local pub sessions. But um, then we just we just figured we had a really good uh, energy together. And so we figured, you know, why don't we just make a few tune sets that we lock in? Let's change the arrangement around a little bit and then let's just apply for some festivals and see what happens. Yeah. And that same year, um, Connor had been... Um, Kind of making his own name in the trad scene as well, and so w- with with dancing and with playing pipes because that's quite a unique combination. So he, he does Irish dancing and pipes as well, and he had a few kind of guest spots at the um, at the Nash and at Woodford, and so we we kind of said, okay, well, what can we what can we use these spots for? So yeah. we just decided to throw the band together, and the, the same year we did uh, a tour. of um doing the national folk festival we did um woodford folk festival illawarra folk festival and then came down to koroit um for the lake school as well and we and we just loved traveling together and playing music together and so yeah we've we've stayed in contact ever ever since and continue to write things and then when we came back to um when when katie and i eventually moved to melbourne Well, when I I followed Katie to Melbourne, (laughs) right? (laughs) Let's be honest about this. (laughs) Um, uh, We met a Reese, and um, we, we, Katie, and I did a bit of busking on the streets here. And when we met Reese, who's a very well accomplished um, musician, and uh, he was doing a lot of busking as well. And we loved his style of playing. And he started coming along to some sessions and showed some interest in learning tunes as well. And so we thought, you know, that's that's a really unique sound. We've got this one-man band, Powerhouse, who's like a a whole accompaniment section on his own. And and here we can gel this with this uh, uniquely Australian trad scene sound that we've just kind of uh, formed in Adelaide. And, uh, And so we started busking. Um, getting a few busking spots with Reese, and then uh, you guys seem few... to kill
1: it in the busking scene. Like from the stalking I've done
2: on online the videos and stuff. Like... Well, it's it's all the beats, to be honest. Really, <laughs> people like hearing bass and uh, fast fast paced dance rhythms. I think it's there's just, something in it's... fiddle
1: tunes too. There's
2: yeah, there's the fiddle like, like no other instrument for me anyway. Just grabs you, and it can grab you from such a distance too because they're so loud as well. Mm. Yeah, it's I think it tickles a certain spot. Yeah. In a lot of people, <laughs> there's there's something in there. Whether it's a an epigenetics kind of tie to your yeah. to your traditional kind of music that yeah. that your people have been listening to for generations and generations, or if it's just the fact that um, it's fast and <laughs> it sounds that, jolly, you've got that traditional <laughs> sound but
1: having a beat and like, having a didgeridoo and, and things like that as well. It gives you that stop and it has that different sound instantly so you kind of go, what's what's going on yeah so you still busking a little
2: bit or not so much well it's winter at the moment and um reese is soon going to be going over to uh europe he spends a few months in europe every year so um we'll we'll slow up for that yep but um yeah when we're not just busking now at the moment so we're now doing some festivals and um uh hoping to go over to europe as well and see what that festival scene is like um next year hopefully. And you've um, recorded as well, right? We we've done a, a kind of backyard EP, but um we're gonna give it uh give a go at a proper album with a recording artist yeah. so that we don't need to worry about it. Um now that we've got a few more original sets under our belt that we yeah. that we want to get described down. So your
1: EP is on Bandcamp. Uh
2: yes. yes. Yeah great. So we'll link any
0: links and stuff in the show yeah, notes too please I'd to, to, to check it out. Can I ask you a quick question there? So, of um, what does Reese play?
2: Uh, Reese plays guitar, didgeridoo, and his own complement of uh, pedals and percussion accompaniment with his feet. So, that normally includes a tambourine sound, a stomp sound, and the most important the sub drop what's the sub, the sub drop or well, the sub drop well you're just going to have to come to the festival and find out oh, fancy <laughs> well i mean it's all that? about the drop to be honest yeah right um, we we thought about changing our band by a um i was inspired by something up at woodford the last most recent time that I went to woodford there's a band uh Scott, scottish band that came out and their description in the in the program was we're just four super hot guys making people's dreams come true wow. and that was just so funny and Love so it. far away from all the wanky band descriptions that you hear you know yeah. oh our esoteric music style is unique and blends flavors from you know wank yeah <laughs> um so we figured we go something along the lines of just it's making people drop. smile and uh, we thought of just we'll make you lose your shit when you say bass <laughs> shopping do you actually have a drop like a we have a bass drop, yeah. Oh, it's uh, a yeah, it's it's a dance band, so yes, I um, oh, love it. Yeah, you bring your dance shoes. We do a few should other I things that to Explain for the up oldies well. what the drop you is. know you
0: should explain it for me, <laughs> <Yes>. okay? <laughs>
1: poor Dominic's looking on, like, oh, what are these kids talking about? In, in in house music and techno, you have a the build up. There's a build up, and then there's nothing. Then there's nothing,
2: and, and then, then there's the a drop. drop. <laughs> I can't wait to check this out. This oh yeah, no, and and a lot of that um, electronic music has, has been a big uh, inspiration for us. And there there is a bit of an electro trad scene growing, and especially for a festival crowd that want to go to dance, yeah, yeah. and to go to have a good time. It's it's release from your regular societal day to day activities. Yeah. So. Um, so it's basically
0: it's basically like you know when you've got a, a session going. And then the Ellen pipes come in,
2: yeah, or or like, well, th- no, there Just actually is a analog. lot of crossover. That's an analog description. I mean, yeah. Okay, so I mean, I'm going to get a little bit trad nerdy on you now, but no, I, I get I get the same feelings when I'm playing in a session. Um, for example, last night at the the Sunday session at the last jar where we met a couple of weeks ago, um, if you play a three a tune three times through, say maybe only some people will be picking it up the third time through they'll think oh, okay I've just remembered that so if you kind of think about musically what's happening the sound is building and building just like you're mentioning before and then if you have the foresight to yell out the key um, to the person who's backing you on guitar or bouzouki, um and they come in at the same time with a with a with a drop in time together it's like almost like a small refrain while everyone's just holding their breath waiting to see what next tune you're going to play and then you come in with something, and it's just a banging tune. You've just given me like the drop tingles. There, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what. The, oh, it's so good. That's what we yeah, yeah. we want to go for. Yeah, it's yeah. funny.
1: And Dom's probably going yeah. to roll his eyes, but a few times I've mentioned that the, the similarity between the old bush dance scene in Australia and the now slash bush duff scene, where you have oh. all these alternative minds seeking out something different, going mm-hmm. off into the bush and trying to get back closer to nature. And meeting someone at a dance along the way. Exactly. Mm. And then all about the drop.
0: I I was actually just going to say about, um, I was playing on Saturday night and I was playing a set of tunes and I was sort of leading the set of tunes and I went for that moment that you just described there of going from two tunes in an A minor tunes into an A major, a tune in D actually. um, And I completely fucked up the third chin. that's <laughs> I the was risk like, though. I was the like, risky run i was kind of going i was thinking okay i can pull this off i can pull this off and then i tried to go into the sailor's bonnet oh is. yeah and i just i was like what, what, what is this tune again? the house lights come on i started playing the national anthem just like go home everybody go home <laughs> This is
2: over. So it's all right. You got to risk it to get the biscuit, and yeah. and there you go. It's yeah. Without that kind of pent up energy, is it gonna work? You're never gonna have an audience, and you know that's one of the beauties of live music anyway. To see people mess up, mess it up, it makes it all the more human. <laughs> yeah. That's why people go to see live music yeah. and don't just listen yeah, to albums. My playing,
0: my playing is very human in that regard. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, no, but seriously, it, it, it is kind of funny because like I, I've had this experience a few times in in re. Acquainting myself with playing um, the the moment where you start thinking consciously about something that you should be doing unconsciously, like, Mm, you know, and And that's a world of pain you're headed for. (laughs)
2: It's it's something that I very often uh, repeat to students that I teach um, to to try and get yourself to a point where you're learning subconsciously and playing subconsciously. And I find, I mean, particularly with uh, with the fiddle, people overthink things too much because there's so much going on. There's your bow posture, there's your um, left hand posture, there's the a whole array of different technical um, skills to be thinking about at the same time while trying to remember how a tune's going on. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just trying to get people to relax while while they're playing is probably one of the biggest skills that I think we can all learn with playing music. I think it's like uh, sexy times. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You just have to be just in the moment. Yeah, just uh, don't think about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a reason that music is sexy, you know. Yeah. A, there are some crossovers. <laughs>
1: Can we have a, have a sexy tune maybe to get oh, us out of this awkward gee. bit? Oh God!
2: <laughs> it doesn't have to
1: be sexy. Be um, just just as long as there's a drop. Ooh. Maybe <laughs> I'll put a couple of tunes
2: together just to Oof. go on. Let's see how we go. So this is a tune uh, we've. We've recently uh, out, that's recently come out of Austral where it's a new tune we call it the Throwdown hoe down <laughs> um, The first tune was written by Katie and I'm going to steal her tune from her <laughs> and uh, and then the second one was written by me and and we, we think it's a cool drop. <laughs> uh.
0: got the drop. <laughs> uh, beautiful. So I wanted to ask you something about, I, I'm, I'm sort of circling back a bit, but um, sure. I'm wondering about when you, this will sound, well, when you told your folks, right, oh, you know what, I'm not fancying this classical
2: stuff much. Oh, right. How how did that go? How did I come out to my folks? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I mean, uh, I think I had a pretty lax upbringing when it came to things like my own choices in life and uh uh, i think i mean it is a bit of an acquired taste i'll 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 give that granted so i have invited my folks along to a lot of sessions and and a lot of the gigs that i played in as a band and they kind of you know they go go along obligingly and they like to see me doing what i love but beyond that they're not really getting into it you know if, if you know what i mean um but there wasn't any
0: there wasn't any tension at the point oh, where no. you were sort of saying, "I'm, I'm leaving the classical stuff behind." Are, are they classical? Grade fans? six is it for me? <laughs>
2: um, classical fan lis- listeners, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, my mother played some piano and and used to sing in an acapella band. Um, they did kind of like Frank Sinatra covers that they had twisted the words to and made them about women's rights and things like that. Yeah. And um, uh, they were called the Skirts. Um, they used to do a lot of corporate gigs and things. Uh, it's kind of sad that I didn't really get to know that much about her because, uh, that much about that side of her because that happened long before I was born. Um, and my dad played classical guitar actually. And, and little bits of piano here and there. And, um, uh, yeah. Um, I, no, there was never any tension mm-hmm. behind, um, parents wanting me to, uh play classical or trad I don't I don't think they really had a preference I think they were happy that I was continuing with music yeah. to be honest mm-hmm. um but um I think maybe when I came to them with an ultimatum saying look I'm really not enjoying these grades I'm going to do this instead I think they were happy that I said that rather than I'm just going to chuck the baby out with the bath water because yeah. that's the that's the period that at that period that's the stage I was at you know it's that kind of mid pubescence rebellion as well. So I'm gonna gonna run away and play folk music. They're just happy to be rebelling in a positive, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not just um, bonging out. Yeah. (laughs) What's the scene like in in Melbourne at the moment? It's great. Yeah. Yeah. um, It's part of the
1: reason that I've moved here to Melbourne yeah right so you were in were you still in sydney or you came from no you came from adelaide yeah
2: so i I grew up in sydney and when i was about 22 i moved over to adelaide to chase an internship which didn't work out um um, in environmental science and surveying um but uh i also met katie which was probably the best thing that came out of adelaide for me and (laughs) and And you um, took her out of Adelaide what's Adelaide got there (laughs) she took me out of Adelaide (laughs) yeah (laughs) she she had plans to move to Melbourne before me and um I stayed there I stayed in Adelaide six months after she left and I and I just thought you know the the music scene's okay here in Adelaide I do like it and I've got a good friend group here but there's not really much happening career-wise so I needed to balance that and so I, uh, excuse me I went back to um, went back to studying and um, took on a master's degree here in here in Melbourne and of course Melbourne being the largest music street, music scene in Australia that was a big attractor so yeah. mm-hmm. knowing that I could go to a session, pretty much every night of the week. <laughs> yeah, and and
0: you're you're studying. Um, you do. Are you still doing a masters? in I am. Yeah, in, I'm in, my last in geography. Months.
2: Geography. That's right. Yeah, yeah.
0: and uh, do you have a particular area that you're looking at? There. I,
2: yeah, I do. I'm I'm studying climate forced urbanisation in Mongolia. So it's very specific. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. There's a there there are environmental disasters in the countryside in Mongolia that uh, threaten the traditional livelihoods of nomadic people that mm-hmm. live in that traditional way and as a react- they past- they're past their
0: pastoralists right
2: pastoralists yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. nomadic herders that yeah. um live off their animals and um uh of course when their animals die in these uh cold winter disasters they often seek different opportunities and move into cities like the capital which is growing too fast and um there are a whole bunch of uh, infrastructure problems in the city because the migration rate is so fast and so there's a lot of urban poverty there and that that was inspiring for me so one of my other major loves in uh in life has been traveling and exploring and backpacking so um one of the one of the first big influences i ever had on me backpacking wise and travel wise was mongolia for the for the traditional music and for the the beautiful landscapes and the culture as Mm -hmm. well so,
0: so uh, I, i'm i just want this is will seem like an esoteric question or something but you know um when you're doing that kind of work and and you're doing are you analyzing are you mapping are you i am yeah,
2: yeah. um so it, the techniques i'm using to measure climate forced urbanization are satellite using satellite imagery mm-hmm. to do time series mapping so it's how fast the city has grown each mm. year since 1989 mm. uh, spatially and then uh, I went over to Mongolia and interviewed a whole bunch of urban planners and government officials and non-government uh, organisation workers about why the city's growing so fast and whether it's connected to those cold climate disasters yeah. Yeah.
0: What part of your uh, brain or yourself is, is being switched on by that and and is it is it mm. similar to the music? Is it is it a different? Is it space is a different in strain head? in my
2: mind? Yeah. yeah. Um, look, no, I I don't think so because I've always just been fascinated with how culture changes over landscapes. I I do think uh, I think of things in quite geographical terms. I'm a bit of a convert when it comes to geography. Um, that so- word
0: you used, landscape, is really interesting to me because I think about. I think about tunes, mm. I think about a session, mm. I think about so many things in terms of a landscape. Sometimes there's just an image that comes into my head about almost the topography of a session, you know, yeah. or the topography of a tune. There's, exactly. There's yeah. two tunes that you just played, you know, that sort of switches between keys and switches mm. between phrases and rhythms and
2: it's it's like a changing climate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I feel that very much in in the in in a session. That's you know, the and the human
2: well, the, shifts. Well, that's what geography is all about. It's about the intersection between social um, social systems, social attributes, and environmental systems. It's about that socio-spatial crossover, and that's that's why I've always loved studying it.
0: I'm so glad we got socio special into this. (laughs) You had said last week that one interview just I just want somebody to say
2: socio special. That's off the bucket list. Yeah, done. Have you got a tune that would sum up socio special? (laughs) Oh, jeez What's your most socio special? Yeah, Yeah. so did
0: you? It sounds like I'm being flippant. I'm sorry, I'm not. It's just no, no. I just love, I love sort of transplanting one thing on top of another, yeah, using one to
2: figure out the other and vice versa, you know.
1: Did you travel with an instrument?
2: I did. I take my fiddle everywhere. Yeah, right. I was practicing tunes while I was staying in the apartment in Ulaanbaatar, in the capital city there. Um, And the first thing that ever attracted me to Mongolia in the first place when I was 18 was um, actually, no, I was probably only 16. And I met a Mongolian throat singer who's now a friend of mine named Bukh Chulun. Uh, He's a Mongolian horse fiddle player and throat singer. So he does that traditional uh throat singing yeah. style and um I just walked past him on King Street in Newtown and um busking and uh and I thought where is that music from and so I got inspired to go there and so in a way that it was the music of that culture which came from such a different place yeah that inspired me to explore it because it was so foreign yeah. so in, in a way that was all kind of inbuilt into that music that first kind of got me to turn around and think hang on there's something really interesting in this and yeah. I want to know about it
1: have you, have you experimented playing with yeah. people there yeah um,
2: right. we once did a, the, the first trad band I ever uh, played in was the one I started in high school we were called Get Folked we, <laughs> yeah. you were uh, in high school yeah yeah Six, <laughs> 16 year old boys playing yeah. playing um, fast music at uh, small festivals and playing at our world music day in, uh, in school yeah, which yeah. Was, was pretty cool And uh, we ended up doing a crossover gig with Buchu. Um, oh wow uh, and so we joined in with one of his traditional slow songs that has these kind of slow uh, very different rhythms These, and he'd be throat singing over the top oh of something my God, like that that sounds amazing and then uh, also as a bit of a cross-pollination thing going on he joined in um playing these fast almost horse gallopy rhythms going yeah. with um while we were playing things like drowsy maggie over the top yeah. you know these these kind of regular st- session favorite um Irish tunes
0: yeah you used the term horse fiddle yeah it's yeah, what, actually what called, is
2: that? it's actually called the horse fiddle yeah. it's called a Moringhor. it's got a horse head uh, carved, not an actual horse head. Uh, <laughs> carved in, uh, wood carved into the shape of a horse head up the top, and they use horse hairs for the for the strings as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they it's, they love horses in Mongolia. Yeah, well.
1: Did you ever record any of any of those
2: um, with Buhu? Yeah. No, I don't think so. It was very spon- spontaneous yeah. kind of thing, organized an that. hour before the gigs yeah. kind of thing. Love those things.
1: Yeah, and then you uh, who knows you
2: record it. Maybe it's not there, but just beautiful, sa- beautiful festival moments yeah. that rarely get captured. Yeah, just memories.
0: Yeah. Do you have another tune? That'd be
2: amazing. You... Sure. Um, oh, I think I'll play a, a little bit of a family oriented tune. So I mentioned Jim Barbary before, yeah. and I, I learned this tune because he. He's from a cornish background actually um his uh grandfather came out on a boat to mine in Moonta, in the, in the coal mines and um uh when uh, when my grandfather passed away i learned this for his um to play at his funeral um and it's it's about migrating to a foreign land and feeling alienated i suppose so it's called um Estrin and it was uh, I'm not sure if it's traditional or if it was just popularised by a band named Dalla it was a band in uh, Cornwall
0: Angus Barbary. Great,
1: wasn't it? Wasn't that fun? Yeah. Yeah. Such a top lad. Yeah. Listen, if you haven't uh stopped and paused the the podcast during that to go off to Patreon and become a uh sub- <laughs> I was gonna say a subscriber, but become a Patreon, then now's another chance.
0: Do it right now. We'll wait for you. Hold yeah. on. All right, we'll just, just just wait. We'll wait. Is that long enough? Have you done it yet? <laughs> Have you done it
1: yet? Uh, look, there is one other thing I am going to ask, and this is like an, an and at the very end of the podcast. Is look, I understand if you can't become a patron; not everyone can. That's totally fine. We understand that, and that's cool. What you can do is really help us get this podcast out. We we don't advertise anywhere. If you see a blast from, coming from us, it's me sitting on my phone, when I should be at work, or you know, it, it's it is really grassroots. We're doing this ourselves, homespun. Yeah, we and we need you to to, to get us into new ears. I'm racking my brain where else can I share this who else can I who else do I think might enjoy it and really you the listener have the key to that there's probably a whole lot of ears that would love this podcast and will never hear it unless you tell them about it so if you can do that for us that would be amazing
0: that would be fantastic and thanks again to Angus Burberry cheers mate good luck
3: hi my name is William. please become a subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.